0: Welcome to the podcast of Ideas, I'm Rob Lyons. This is the first of a series of special end-of-year podcasts in which we review the big events and talking points of the past 12 months. And taking a break from the political maelstrom of Brexit, we thought we would start with the year in sport. In 2018, we've had the England football team shocking the world, or at least England football fans, by reaching the World Cup semi-finals for the first time in 28 years, with Harry Kane winning the Golden Boot. The biggest surprise, however, was the success of Croatia reaching the final and helping to earn the Ballon d'Or for Real Madrid's Luka Modric. But the big story in the past few days has been the debate about the press's treatment of Raheem Sterling and to what extent racism is still prevalent in football. Lewis Hamilton made history by winning his fifth Formula One World Championship, equalling the tally of Argentinian legend Juan Manuel Fangio. Anthony Joshua beat Joseph Parker to add the WBO heavyweight title to his collection, yet ended the year somewhat overshadowed as Tyson Fury came back from depression, astonishing weight gain and three years of inactivity to fight WBC champion Deontay Wilder to a draw, beating both the count and his critics in one of the best heavyweight fights in years and restoring excitement in boxing's Premier Division. Geraint Thomas became the first Welshman to win the Tour de France, but did his Sky teammate Chris Froome really deserved the plaudits as the first man since Bernardino in 1983 to hold all three Grand Tour totals at the same time. And let's have a quick mention for Ronnie O'Sullivan, who has now won more of Snooker's Triple Crown events than anyone else after his recent victory at the UK Championship. So to discuss all this, I'm joined by Declan Rooney, Jeff Killer and Alistair Donald. And so, gents, shall we begin? England's World Cup, a fluke or the start of something bigger? Declan. Um, I think it's the start of something bigger, um,
1: for sure. There's a lot of young English players coming through and Pep Guardiola joining the Premier League seems to have changed a lot of English football and English players and improved English players. When Pep Guardiola went to Spain, the Spanish team did well. When he went to Germany, the German team did well. And now he's in England and the English team are doing well. So hopefully it will change in the future
2: uh-huh. Jeff uh, you never know I mean England had a fairly favourable draw for most of the World Cup and they got through they could have a really difficult draw in a future tournament and not progress but having said that they do seem to have learnt somehow because I was never a great fan of Southgate but they somehow they managed to have learnt to play tournament football to spend a month together and grow as a group rather than just Uh, uh, almost disintegrate as a group which has happened in nearly every previous tournament in the past 20 years so on that level there's hope for the future I'm still not convinced that Southgate is the new Pep Guardiola and can uh, emulate uh, and and, and coach to his level Um, and I'm also not necessarily convinced that England may win a tournament in the future but there's certainly hope where previously there's been consistent disappointment and underachievement?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think a bit of perspective probably is, is, is the thing. I mean, uh, you look back to the World Cup and England had, what, four wins, I think it was, but also three defeats. So uh, the, the wins were against relatively uh, easier teams. Um, and as soon as they came up against some uh, teams that were... Uh, the better teams then then they, they really struggled. So I think uh, keeping that perspective is quite important. That said, um, I, I agree uh, with the Guardi- uh, uh, Southgates not the new Guardiola, but um, I think there are there are some interesting things going on in English football. I, th- I think uh, the influx of foreign players over over the past uh, years has, has definitely raised the standard of, of English football, along with uh, better managers. Um, and I think it's quite interesting just now that uh, young English players seem to be prepared to go abroad, and uh, where they're not, uh, no, no longer prepared to sit in the reserves, but actually gain some experience in European leagues and, and, and other leagues. Which I think you know, I, I think that's one of the things that's been missing from English football over the years.
0: I think actually getting to the semi-finals of the World Cup was a bit fortunate, as Jeff said, with the draw. Um, but and they were they were quite a limited team at the World Cup in sense they were set-piece specialists effectively mm-hmm. and they uh, they got through with you know um, beating relatively easy teams and, and struggled against Belgium and well actually struggled against Colombia in, in, the, in the final 30-40 minutes of that game so you know, uh, uh, probably flattered them with that performance. Having said that, getting through a Nations League group with Spain and Croatia in it, uh, it turns the semi-finals is a fair achievement. Winning away in Spain is something that English kind of think English teams haven't done for a long time, and they have got a lot of good players. I mean, England with uh, a player like Luka Modric in the midfield would be a, a, a very interesting proposition. But unfortunately, we don't have someone like that—a um, ball-playing midfielder in that that uh, way. But it will be interesting to see how they respond in the Nations League um, finals um, next summer. Um, but you know, so, so there's potential there. I just don't think they're world beaters. And I don't think
2: there will be world beaters anytime soon. Anything else on that one? Well, the Nations League, I mean, that's a bit, you know, not a joke. It's worth being in the semi-finals. whatever. I remember back in 1997 when England won Le Tournois, the year before the World Cup in France and with Glenn Hoddle, and everybody said, it, this is a precursor, this is a dress rehearsal, come the World Cup, England are going to do spectacularly well, and then they came up against a good Argentina team, things went against them, they got knocked out quite early, that was the end of that, so I, even England winning these kind of second-rate tournaments has limited excitement for me, I have, to, I have to say, you do want them to do it when it really matters and maybe they will I mean maybe what Rob said is true winning those difficult matches maybe they will in the Euros or in the World Cup but they're the tournaments that I'm more concerned about
3: I think I mean you've got to see it in the context of possibly a bit of a shift in, in overall in world football where uh, the, the teams that have traditionally done well the countries that have traditionally done well the Brazils and the Argentinas uh, Italy's didn't do it this time and, and France have come on the scene and, and um perhaps they're now getting the right to be considered one of the big teams. So maybe England uh, in the future can can make that shift, but I I think it's a big question mark still against that happening.
0: Well, let's move on to, uh, I mentioned him just a few moments ago, Luka Modric. bit of controversy that he won the Ballon d'Or and that Lionel Messi could only manage fifth place. Is Luka Modric the best player in the world? No, he's definitely not the best player in the world did he have the best season last
1: season? Possibly. I don't think so. Um, it's about rewarding him for what he did. He won the Champions League. He got his team kind of single-handedly to the final of the World Cup. And it's kind of, do we give Ronaldo a Messi the Ballon d'Or every year in a row? Or do we reward maybe a midfielder for the first time, a different kind of player? Um, that reward so it's a debate but I don't think he was um, the best player he mm-hmm. is the best player in the world and he definitely wasn't the best player last season I think Messi was the best player and he finished fifth or I think it was fifth mm-hmm.
0: yeah OK
1: Alistair?
3: Uh, I, I thought that he had as good a shout at getting it as anyone else I I, I think uh, the interesting thing this year was that uh, I don't think Messi and Ronaldo have been uh, uh, had the quality of seasons that they've had over over recent years and I I think there's been a slight sort of downgrading of, of their status, whether that's age or injuries or, or whatever. So I, I think it it was a much more open race this year and I I think he was as deserving as anyone else of it.
2: Yeah, Modric's achievements which which Declan's just said in terms of get basically dragging his team to the World Cup final and winning the Champions League are substantial achievements. Even if you say, well, he's done it as part of a, a team and it's really him, maybe almost not quite leading the team, but pulling that effort together rather than necessarily the individual skill. But his individual skill is great. And also, if you're like not of a footballing physique somebody who's kind of small like that who doesn't look like your, your average footballer it's, it's quite good that somebody like that can be the, the arguably I mean and I thought it was merited you know the best footballer in the world and that gives hope to many people Uh huh. I, mean, I, I mean yeah I think in a, in a season where
0: Messi or Ronaldo haven't done enough to be sort of outstanding candidates as they have been in the past then yeah, as Alistair said, it's very open race, could have gone to a lot of people, could have gone to Mo Salah, could have gone to a whole bunch of different people. Um, and I think actually winning those two, the two biggest things you can win, well, not winning the World Cup, but coming very close to winning the World Cup and winning the Champions League again, um, and he's been a very important part of that Real Madrid story, at some point you think, well, let's give him the nod, um, and as you say, as probably as good a... Candidate as ever is he the best footballer of the last five years or something? No, Messi is, but you know, that's a different question altogether. Um, so, what, but moving more close to current events, as it were, and this contra- controversy over the past few days over um, Raheem Sterling being, being shouted at very, very aggressively by Chelsea fans, and now this big discussion about racism in football is—is uh, is the way that Raheem Sterling is treated a question of race? Uh, is uh, is racism still there? It's just kind of hidden in the way that it was, uh, you know, very evident in the era of the you know, the first wave of English black footballers. Um, or is this just
2: uh, whole controversy just been overhyped, um, Jeff? Okay, well, just on this one, um, I just think there's various things have been conflated. So the guys who were shouting at him have denied that what they said was racial, even though it was reported as such for days. They've categorically denied they said anything. And if they're right, and I don't know, because I'm not an expert in these things, or in lip reading or whatever, then the whole thing is obviously overhyped because they didn't shout racial abuse at him. If they did shout racial abuse at him, then that's really bad. And it's one thing to say, well, you should have banter in football and people should be able to let off steam, but you should obviously you know shouldn't that shouldn't happen and that would be really bad but so that is to me not yet decided um on the other aspects which is different yes raheem sterling has definitely been he himself has been treated badly by the press over a long time, particularly early in the year when he had the tattoo on his leg of the gun and it was treated as if that this was the most terrible thing and whatever. And the whole context in which that happened because of what happened to his father was, was ignored by sections of the press and you know, they, they started a campaign against him. And he's also highlighted questions of unequal treatment. And where that's the case, then that's wrong. But I think a lot of that was particularly in relation to him uh, um, uh, rather than uh, a general I- idea that there's racism through the press. So you just have to look at these things with a bit of nuance. And I, so I don't want to condemn the press as being racist, but at the same time, you don't want to say, well, there's ne- that's never a factor in these different things. So I, I think there's some balance there. It's certainly the case that in racism in football, we're not in the 1980s, you know, people are not throwing bananas regularly onto the pitch. There's not, not racial. You know, I remember the 1980s. You objected to racial shouting at football, and nobody was interested. It was just that's what that's what you did. What's you know, you know, just get over it. Now, that kind of behaviour is totally unacceptable, and these isolated incidents are seen as exceptional and very unusual. And that's a, a lot of progress. And some of it may be due to campaigns or external factors a lot of it's due to the fact that fans now have changed and will not tolerate that kind of behavior which is good which shows why it's exceptional when it happens and people are really shocked and it's good people are really shocked because it's exceptional behavior but we're not we're in a very different situation in the 1980s and 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 obviously where things happen now they should be dealt with but I think we have to look recognize that we're in very different times. Do you think it's um this is just as usual hate that Footballers receiving people are interpreting it as
0: you know, as racist because it's Raheem Sterling. Um, I think
1: there might be some institutional racism in the press towards Raheem Sterling. Um, I don't know why, but it looks like there is. Um, it's clear racism is a lot less prevalent than it used to be, and I think the reason everyone is taking such a rise at the moment is that it's very close to being kicked out of football altogether and people just want it gone completely and don't want to see any incidents at all. So it's kind of that moment now where people want to get rid of it completely and don't want to see little incidents because the English football game has got so close to getting rid of it completely compared to other countries where it's still very prevalent.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I yeah, I mean, oh God, I remember going to Chelsea in the uh, late nineteen eighties, early nineteen nineties, and you know, the experience then of of how the crowds were was was one where you know you you weren't surprised in in the late eighties when a banana skin came onto the pitch uh, for for John Barnes or whatever. It was um, you know, it was not uh, uh, something that happened relentlessly, but it just wasn't surprising, which made which I think was. Is is in a way what made the incident with uh, at, at Arsenal Tottenham match the, the other week stand out to some extent? Because now it is, it is surprising, um, and I just you know I just wonder if if um, the, the, the 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 denial. Uh, of of the Chelsea fans uh, that you know arguing, they said man not black is is interesting because it raises the question as to whether we're just all too altogether too quickly uh, ready to jump to conclusions on on this stuff because that's the that's the narrative uh, that's that's being uh, 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 that that people are 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 pushing just now. So I I you know I I, I think um the bigger context for this i i, I think is that uh, so, you know societies become on the whole i think much less racist uh, over over the last uh, couple of decades uh, but we seem determined to find uh, racism in quite a lot just now. So you have, for example, recent uh, uh, reports on things like the criminal justice system. You have race audits, all of which seem keen to make a point uh, that racism still exists in society. And I think it's 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 mainly uh, pointing the finger at working class people for their racism that that is is that comes out a lot of, of a lot of the discussion and. Where do working class people gather in crowds? Well, often it's football, so it's it's not surprising I think that that uh, people are determined to make a point about football, just now.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a lot of it is attacks on working class players as well. I mean, Wayne Rooney has obviously been at the the, the centre of um, a lot of this stuff. The more successful he is, the more money he gets paid. The more he, he seems to be attacked. You know, everybody from you know, uh, obviously the, the specific, particular people that, that the, the press have hated on in the past, like Beckham, through to the likes of Jamie Vardy for being just like gauche and, uh, you know, having sort of like, you know, crap taste with loads of money. Um, that's that's that that's been going on for a long time as well. And I think, but there is also to some extent criticism of Sterling are, are justified. I mean, the British press, sporting press, tends to go completely over the top. But I think a lot of people are very frustrated with Raheem Sterling in terms of playing for England because you know he just he not you know, produced the end product that a man of his ability should be producing, um, and you know the fact that he went for so long without scoring a goal for England um, was uh, was part of that. But uh, you know, I think probably underneath it all, there is still a bit of an undercurrent of racism, uh, which has been kind of suppressed as not acceptable in polite society. Okay, so let's move on from. Football for a, for a change and, and talk about somebody who has done something fairly substantial in uh, sport this year. Lewis Hamilton uh, reached five Formula One World Championships, uh, putting him joint second on the all-time list with one Manuel Fangio and only just behind Michael Schumacher. Um, is he a sporting great or is it just that he gets to drive the best car?
3: Well, I th- I think there's a case for uh, that, that he is a sporting great now. I mean, he's he's uh, five world championships, has one one more than uh, Jackie Stewart. So uh, obviously, in terms of uh, UK achievement of drivers, he's 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 right up there. Um, Yes, he he's, he's, uh, seems to have had the best car, but he also seems to have been very single-minded in, in how he arranges his uh, sporting life in terms of who he's going to drive for and making the moves at the right time, including making a move to Mercedes when uh, they weren't necessarily at the, at the top. and it, it seemed to be something to do with his presence that helped uh, the, the team uh, shift up a gear, so I, I, I think he 's been someone that 's been very single minded and determined um, he 's incredibly good in 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 the tricky situations of things like wet tracks he 's very good at uh, uh, it, it would seem at like getting in front and actually having the skill to hold people off so I, you know I, I, I think uh, these, you can't just say the best car and and you automatically win. Even though the best car is, it does seem to be a distinct advantage. Um, but I, I think you have to recognise the skill and determination and bravery. Uh, of, of, of him in, in getting to that position and it does seem to me that he's, he's the victim to some extent of, of people uh, you know, disliking his, uh, his lifestyle and who he hangs out with and, and, and all the rest of it uh, but uh, you know, I, I think there's a case for sporting achievement there
1: I think Lewis Hamilton is the greatest English sportsman ever Bold
0: claim, <laughs> back it <in ice. laughs> <laughs> I don't know
1: anything about F1, but it seems like every couple of years, not even a couple of years, you just hear he's won another world title or whatever it's called in F1. He just keeps winning. He's been up there for year after year and he just keeps delivering titles. So I'm not the most knowledgeable about F1, but I know he keeps winning and he's always been at the top. And I can't think of any... Individual English sportsman that has done what he has done.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. I have to say, I
2: agree with quite a lot of that. And there's, there's something, about, and I also agree with quite a lot of what Alistair said. There's something about him where, yeah, it's it's Formula One. People say, well, he's only got, you know, he's, he's, you know, a person with the best car. Well, it does help if you've got the best car, but that's what you do in Formula One. You drive cars, right? So, um, that's, that's, what, that, that's what he's good at. Yes, you have to do all the pit stops and all the other things that you do now in Formula One and be good at those things too. But he is, the thing that singles him out, is, is some, along the lines of what Declan said, is the fact that he's like a perfectionist of, on an extreme level. I mean, he goes to extremes with the diet, which people will know, and he says, says all kinds of wacky things. But that's what he's like. He's a perfectionist. So even after he's won the title, even in the last race, there's some tiny little thing goes wrong, he completely loses, will lose it with the rest of his team because they make a slight mistake, and on every level he's like that. Which I'm not saying it's very unusual for an English person to be like that, but it's just unusual for anybody to be to be like that. And he's up against Vettel and Ferrari, who are pretty good, but he has wiped the floor with them, unlike his teammate. Uh, and so I do, I do think I'm not going to say he's the greatest English sportsman of all time and there's all kinds of difficult things how, how you compare them but he is operating at a very high level over, quite, over a long time over a decade Has won f- uh, five titles now um, and there's no reason potentially why he wouldn't uh, uh, why he, he can't go on and win more
0: you can't win best actor unless you get the scripts and you can't win the Formula 1 world title unless you get the best car or nearly the best car and somebody has decided that we've got the best car and who's the best driver to put in it it's Lewis Hamilton and so he's he's earned the right to drive the best car in the first place um as it happens I've, I've, from from what I've been reading uh he hasn't always had the best car certainly this season it's been it probably Mercedes hasn't been quite as quick as Ferrari but he's made the best use of the car and his performance as compared to his his teammate is is illustrative of that so yeah i mean Five world championships is an astonishing achievement. And I don't know, again, I don't know if he's the best English sportsman of all time, but he's certainly a very good one. And, you know, there may well be more world titles to come and an even bigger case to be built for him. Um, Now, talking of uh, great sports people, it's interesting Lewis Hamilton probably doesn't really, you know, win the hearts of the nation in in many ways, in the way of certain other sportsmen. And the two that have come to mind in the last week or so have been Tyson Fury and Ronnie O'Sullivan, who are both excellent at what they do, but also a bit bonkers. So I was just, I was just curious about what, we, what people make of this idea of a people's champion. Tyson Fury was comes the people's champion. Ronnie O'Sullivan has a following that's completely different from any other snooker player. What makes a people's champion, um, or is it just a made-up concept? If I just thrown you all with that question? <laughs> I mean, why do people like Tyson Fury so much? He's won one world title fight.
1: People don't want a sportsman to abide by all the rules and be PC and lack a personality they want to see someone that they can correlate with and understand and someone who doesn't abide by all the rules and who makes mistakes so they can kind of build a relationship with them um tyson fury for sure um is someone people can relate with he's been through mental battles he doesn't um he's not media trained at all he says what he thinks and i think it's that the public can go on like a journey with him, um, as he as he goes from lows to highs, and it it makes him more passionate about the person. Unlike someone who is media trained and
0: goes by the book. Uh, I think, so basically to be a people's champion, you have to be a bit like Bruce Willis and Die Hard, in that you have to be a hero, but at the same time not play by the rules. Mm. What do you think, Jeff? I
2: think I think so. I mean, the the obvious person who hasn't entered people's hearts is Chris, somebody like Chris Froome, who apart from the fact that he's, that people say well he's from South Africa, or whatever, but overall he's not somebody most people can relate to, he's like a, he, he comes across and probably disrespectfully to say it as a kind of robotic person who just does cycling, he's actually very good at it, and these other people have a touch amongst certain people, particularly in snooker, which is I think probably predominantly watched by working-class people, they can relate to that kind of thing. And I think, again, with boxing, so I think there is that aspect to it. I don't think it's universal throughout society, particularly with Tyson Fury, a lot of people who might, uh, you know, be quite critical of him in certain aspects. Um, so I think there is a, 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 that, that element to it too, um, which is why for something like boxing or snooker, it, 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 it works. Whereas you mentioned somebody like Wayne Rooney, Who people? I always thought people would warm to this guy who was really good at football. But but consistently, the press particularly were so down on him that in many ways he never quite that. It never quite. It never. Whole thing never quite worked out. So, Um,
3: I I I I think uh, when Jeff mentioned earlier in the Lewis Hamilton context about perfectionism. And obviously the very best sportsmen uh, do have to have that mentality. But there's something about perfection. It's it's about... There's, there's a living on the edge sort of mentality and i I, I think we we quite like uh, our sporting heroes to just go over that edge a little bit and it, it gives them that that something a, a little bit extra especially in the context perhaps of the last sort of 10 20 years where um, there has been a pressure on on people to become in sport role models which often leads to them being a little bit bland I mean i remember back to to uh, 1990s and and Liverpool the there was always the Owen and Fowler thing going on and Owen was this kind of bland guy that was always put forward as the role model and Fowler was the kind of living on the edge guy that everybody worshipped uh, far far more than Owen so you know I, I think you go back and you sort of think of people like Mac and or, or whatever and they always had that 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 just that little bit of extra that just uh, made you really admire them more than, than people who perhaps just played it a bit more safe even although they were perfectionists well,
0: It's interesting you raised McEnroe because that, that's, people hated McEnroe and they loved Bjorn Borg That's me, uh, yeah, and, oh, I love uh, Borg and I, I hated I was, McEnroe uh, yeah. just, but, but, but over the years you've kind of grown to w- warm to, to McEnroe because he does say what he thinks so as a commentator he's excellent uh, even if he's offered wrong he's just opinionated and says what he thinks and uh, I'm sure Beyond Borg would make a terrible commentator but uh, yeah, that, that was an interesting sort of matchup in terms of people's uh, perceptions and popularity um, I, I, think it, it, I think it's a great debate we should do it at the Battle of Ideas next year Right, yeah. finally, very quick um, quickfire opinions on a few questions so Sunday it's Sports Personality of the Year who do you think should win? Declan
1: can I go last? Let me, th- <laughs> okay. let me
2: think about it, <laughs> Jeff. I don't, I don't care. I'm not interested. All these, football, all, all these awards for people on TV programs or whatever. You want the people, you, you want somebody to be a world champion or something, mm. or to win a cup or to do whatever. Winning some uh, comfortable TV thing for the people who watch on Sunday night. I'm, I'm, I really don't care. Even the Ballon d'Or, it's, it's got something going for it. But you don't. it's sort of overrated in terms of its prestige, so I, I really don't care. <laughs> oh, that's avoiding the question. Alistair?
3: I mean, I, I think the uh, personality, uh, I, I'd leave it aside. I, I just think that Hamilton should be recognised for his achievement as the best uh, person in sport this year. Uh
0: huh. All right, Declan, make your mind up. I would give it to Raheem Sterling, just because
1: of the pressure he's been under and the way he's handled
0: himself. Okay, interesting. Well, on the basis of the um, should have had one years ago, I'm going to go for Ronnie O'Sullivan. I mean, he's just the best snooker player that's ever lived, and uh, yeah, he, and considering his mental turmoils over the years, yeah, and his you know, various points, you know, massive loss of interest in doing anything um, to win 19 of the the three biggest titles in in your sport. Uh, it's like a tennis player winning 19 Grand Slams. I think that's impressive. Admittedly, it's snooker. And apart from the the Chinese and a few Australians, it's a British sport. So it's perhaps not uh, got the same weight as being heavyweight boxing champion. But there you go. Right. Perhaps easier. Who will win the
2: Premier League, Uh, Jeff? I don't know. I I was thinking about this before. (laughs) But on this one, I do care because it's a substantial achievement. I think it's between Manchester City, Liverpool and Chelsea. And I know I've got two Liverpool fans sitting next to me. Uh, I don't think sorry Declan I don't think Tottenham are quite there yet but they're getting better but I do think that after the thing I haven't understood for the last 25 years is why Liverpool haven't been able to defend since they for 25 years really and now they've for the first time they've got a decent goalkeeper they can defend so I think Liverpool for the first time for a long time are in the frame with the others
0: Declan
1: I think Liverpool will win it as well just because I think Man City are starting to derail a tiny bit in the season. I just think it's Liverpool's year this season. They've gone through a little bit of a rough patch. They're finding some form. and I just have a horrible feeling that <laughs> Liverpool <laughs> will do it this season.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I love it when people have horrible feelings that Liverpool might win the Premier League. Um, I... I, I think for all the reasons that Jeff uh, outlined, uh, i.e. a better defence and goalkeeper, then there's a realistic chance that Liverpool could win it this year. Um, but I, I I just think Manchester City are a really, really good team and uh, they're going through, they've, they've, they've had one defeat uh, and people are, are sort of saying, well, are are they good enough? I mean, I think once they get their players back, they'll be a very, very good team again. Well, I think Liverpool might just pit them.
0: Yeah, I I think that this is uh, as close to being Liverpool's year as as any, but Manchester City have still got the best squad of players and I I wouldn't uh, write anybody off. And Chelsea, Arsenal and Spurs to diminishing degrees all have actually just stepped up this year. So the fact that Spurs have had their best start to the season since they won the double uh, and Liverpool have had their best start to the season Ever, I think, uh, in a, a certain, certainly they're better than in any of the years that they actually won the first division uh, championship. So that's it's a very very high standard this year, and I think it's uh, there's four or five really good teams in the Premiership, and sort of about twelve that could go down. It's a very very lopsided Premiership, I think possibly. Um, finally, best sporting moment
2: of the year, I would say. Well, We've mentioned a lot of them. One I just wanted to mention, which we mentioned in previous podcasts earlier in the year, is Dulwich Hamlet getting their ground back and overcoming the American, who are kind of caricature evil American property developers, uh, who uh, are still looking for uh, a PR company that can improve their image. But anyway, Dulwich Hamlet are back from Christmas in their stadium, hopefully that area around where I live can become a sporting beacon again with lots of people playing football and other sports every evening and it's a, a, a sporting centre in that part of South London uh, uh, and that, it's really good that that's come back. Uh-huh. Declan, have you
1: got another one? I'm going to go with, in June sometime, Kieran Trippier's free kick against Croatia. As a moment in time, the greatest moment of the year <laughs> before it all went pear shapes
3: <laughs> Alistair? I think the Tyson Fury fight uh, because it was just pure sporting theatre uh, and uh, the bravery that you showed I think to, it, through that fight uh, to come back from you know being knocked down a couple of times and arguably uh, to have uh, been um, to to to, uh, for, for the wrong result to have come through, uh, yeah. arguably, uh, but I just think that that was a moment of sporting magic. Uh-huh.
1: Khabib versus Conor McGregor, oh, yeah. one of the greatest fights I've ever seen. I think that was actually the greatest moment of the year, in terms of the brawl afterwards and just everything about that fight. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. was amazing.
0: The brawl, yes, and McGregor getting schooled.
1: Yeah, everything about that was brilliant.
0: Uh, I, I have. To, I mean, I, I, the, the fury getting up—that was a um, uh, astonishing moment. Uh, just to just to counteract any Liverpool bias in this podcast, I have to say Gareth Bale's uh, overhead kick in the Champions League final was an absolute kick in the guts. Also, Sergio Ramos manhandling Mo Salah, but you know, but in terms of somebody who's like not had a great season, isn't particularly well liked by the Real Madrid fans. Come on, and just do that. Um, And to to be a team bigger like Real Madrid where you can pull the guy who was formerly the world's most expensive footballer off the bench when things aren't going right for you just shows that there there was certainly a bit of a disparity in terms of resources for that game at least. But it was certainly a moment and it certainly sucked when I saw that goal going in. Um, Anyway, and on that note, um, thank you very much for listening. That was the uh, Sportcast of Ideas for 2018. Please uh, keep an eye out for our other roundups of the year um, over the course of the next couple of weeks.